From the Florida Bar Studios in Tallahassee, this is Florida Bar News Briefs. I'm your host, Mark Killian. Heeding warnings about foreign influence in Florida's judiciary, a divided House panel has approved the Litigation Investment Safeguards and Transparency Act, or LISTA. Jim Ash has more. Uh, Mark, the Civil Justice Subcommittee last week voted 10 to 7 to approve HB 1179 by Judiciary Chair Tommy Gregory, a Lakewood Ranch attorney. Co-sponsor Toby Oberdorf, a Stewart Republican, presented the bill. Among other things, the bill would bar financers from directing the course of a lawsuit, require parties to disclose litigation financing agreements to opponents, and bar investors from recovering more than the plaintiff. Oberdorf said the bill is needed to guard against hostile nations, including China, from using litigation financing to gain access to trade secrets or disrupt the courts. Overdorf said once the bill goes into effect, people will be shocked by how much foreign influence there is in our legal system. Both of Florida's U.S. Senators, Republicans Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, called for greater transparency for litigation financing in a joint letter to the chief judges of Florida's federal courts. The letter warned that foreign actors may be using litigation financing to swamp the courts with frivolous lawsuits, wrestle control of lawsuits from the parties, or, quote, exacerbate domestic discourse. The U.S. and Florida Chambers of Commerce, the National Federation of Independent Business, and Florida Justice Reform Institute support the bill. The business groups say they're concerned that the growth of the litigation financing industry will encourage meritless lawsuits. Investors with an eye toward maximizing profits may be pressuring plaintiffs to reject reasonable settlement offers, they say. But lawyers on the subcommittee from both sides of the political aisle were concerned that disclosing a litigation financing agreement to an opponent would give corporate defendants an even bigger strategic advantage. Florida Justice Association General Counsel Bill Cotterell called the disclosure provisions very problematic. A corporate defendant would know how long they would have to delay a proceeding until the plaintiff's resources were exhausted. Republican Representative Mike Beltran, a Riverview attorney and a Harvard law grad, put it this way, quote, they would know how much gas I have in the tank. Didn't Beltran also say the bill could put U.S. innovation at risk? Yeah, Beltran says cash-strapped startups often rely on litigation financing to sue Chinese manufacturers who pirate their inventions. Democratic Representative Ashley Gant, a Miami attorney, also says the bill, as it stands now, would help Goliath instead of David. Overdorf stressed that the bill was making its first committee stop, and he'll work to address some of the concerns. The bill faces two more committee stops, the Justice Appropriations Subcommittee and Judiciary. A Senate panel has agreed to cap non-economic damages and medical negligence claims despite hours of testimony by victims and grieving survivors. Roanne Batar has the details. The Senate Judiciary Committee recently moved SB 248 by Chair Clay Yarborough of Jacksonville that imposes a cap of $500,000 per claimant, regardless of the number of healthcare practitioners who are liable. 
a 750,000 cap on non-practitioners and a $150,000 cap for practitioners in emergency cases. Yarborough says the amendment was necessary to get stakeholders to agree to the bill's original intent, eliminating an exemption in existing law that makes entire classes of plaintiffs ineligible to collect damages, which he calls a clear injustice. Existing Florida law is unique in that it limits the awarding of punitive damages to a surviving spouse of minor children when a person 25 or older dies from medical negligence. Some patient advocates have called the exemption Florida's free kill law. More than a dozen opponents of the proposal, some in tears, described loved ones who were killed or catastrophically injured by medical negligence during the bill's hearing, including Sabrina Davis, who said her 62-year-old Navy veteran father, Keith Davis, died three years ago in a Tampa hospital from a misdiagnosed blood clot. Because Sabrina was older than 25, she was unable to hold the responsible parties accountable. Bipartisan attempts in the past several years to repeal the exemption have failed. The Florida Medical Association, insurers, and business groups warned that a repeal would send a malpractice premium skyrocketing and put Florida patients at risk by exacerbating a doctor shortage. According to a staff analysis, a recent Office of Insurance Regulation study of the top 10 states for physician malpractice rates found that Florida in 2022 was the highest of the 10 states in seven of the eight examples. Brian Johnson, general counsel for the Texas Alliance for Patient Access, says a $250,000 constitutional cap that voters approved in his state 20 years ago led to a 65% reduction in medical malpractice practice rates. Opponents of the caps noted that the Florida Supreme Court in a 2014 ruling in McCall versus United States of America ruled that caps lawmakers imposed in 2003 violated equal protection rights. Yarborough said he was confident the proposal would withstand legal challenges, noting that it makes legislative findings that establish a, quote, critical state interest. A bill that would have the state's chief financial officer set the rates paid on lawyer iota accounts is moving in the Senate. The measures are a response to a recently enacted Florida Supreme Court rule requiring lawyers to keep their trust accounts and institutions that tie interest rates for iota accounts to specific index rate points. Alexandra Glorioso has more. That's right, Mark. Historically, the IOTA program has been overseen by the Florida Supreme Court as part of its role in regulating the profession. But the Senate and House bills could change that. SB 1336 and HB 1253 are identical, and the measure is moving in the upper chamber. The Senate Banking and Insurance Committee on January 22nd approved the bill with a vote of 8 to 2. IOTA accounts are where attorneys store short-term client funds and are voluntarily offered as a line of business by banks. The interest the banks pay on the accounts is used to the benefit of the court's IOTA program and is distributed across the state to legal aid organizations providing civil legal aid through grants awarded by FFLA, formerly called the Florida Bar Foundation. The court amended bar rules last year to require lawyers to keep their IOTA accounts in institutions that tie interest rates for IOTA accounts to the Wall Street Journal prime rate. The rule went into effect last May and is already bringing in more money that pays for civil legal representation to Floridians living near the poverty line. 
The Florida Bankers Association supports the legislation and is also challenging the court's new rule in a rehearing now pending with the Supreme Court, arguing the rule is financially unsound. Dennis Murphy, the president of and CEO of Gulfside Bank in Sarasota, told the Senate panel they were bringing the legislation forth this session because, quote, we need relief now. Kenneth Pratt, a lobbyist for the Florida Bankers Association, also told senators they were trying to save the IOTA program as they don't want to see banks get out of this line of business. But the number of banks participating in the program has actually increased since the court modified the rule from 151 to 162. The program is bringing in roughly $23 million a month in funding that helps roughly 4 million impoverished Floridians get free legal representation for civil disputes. Senator Aaron Grawl, a Vero Beach Republican and attorney and the bill sponsor in her chamber, says she believes the debate is not about funding civil legal aid, but rather the, quote, de facto regulation of banks through the mandatory behavior of attorneys. Under the proposed measures, the state's chief financial officer would set the interest rates each quarter and be prohibited from ever setting that rate above 2.55%. But the legislation would also allow banks to get around this higher yield by allowing them to offer similar interest rates as they do on non-IOTA accounts, as long as those rates are at least a quarter of a percentage point. Before voting against the bill, Senator Geraldine Thompson, a Democrat from Windermere, said, quote, I would ask that we comply with the rule that was promulgated by the Florida Supreme Court and that we recognize that this is in litigation and that we not pass this bill today. A House panel is proposing a slight change in court procedure that the bill sponsor says would make a big difference for thousands of domestic violence victims. Jim? Mark, the House Civil Justice Subcommittee voted 16 to 0 to approve HB 761 by Miami Republican Alina Garcia. The bill is titled Interpersonal Violence Injunction Petitions, and it would remove a requirement that petitions for protective orders be notarized. Under current law, a petition for protection against domestic violence, repeat violence, dating violence, or stalking must be sworn to and signed in the presence of a notary. The change would eliminate a time-consuming step that requires petitioners to print out the forms and take it to a notary to witness their signatures. Even without the notarizations, Garcia says petitioners would be taking a big risk by not being truthful. The penalty for perjury by false written declaration is a third-degree felony. According to a staff analysis, Florida's 41 domestic violence shelters admitted nearly 12,000 victims to residential programs and nearly 40,000 to non-residential outreach services in fiscal year 2021-22. Garcia says the change was recommended by the Supreme Court Steering Committee on Children and Families in the Courts. HB 761 faces one more hearing in judiciary before reaching the House floor. For more on these and other stories of interest to the profession, visit floridabar.org slash news. Florida Bar News Briefs is a production of the Journal News Department. For Roanne Batar, Alex Glorioso, Jim Ash, and our producer behind the glass, Jonathan Siegel, I'm Mark Killian. (laughs) 